Welcome to Murder and Mimosas. Just a quick disclaimer before we get started. Our show is Murder and Mimosas. It's a true crime podcast. This means that we do discuss crimes, including but not limited to disappearances, murder, and sexual assaults. All our episodes are told with the respect of the victims and the victims' families in mind. We strive to ensure that we provide factual information, but some information is more verifiable than others. With that, grab your mimosas and let's dive in. Welcome back. I'm Shannon. And I'm Danica. We are going to tell you the story of Larry Hall. So let's dive in. Larry was born in Indiana in 1962. It's said that Larry came out blue due to lack of oxygen and he was born with an identical twin named Gary. The family didn't have much money. Their father was a grave digger, and they lived by the cemetery. In fact, the boys grew up digging graves, and like many of us that grow up around something, this wasn't anything unusual for them. The brothers weren't tall. In fact, they stood about 5'3", not athletic at all. Sadly, the boys were bullied a lot in school, especially Larry. Gary, his brother, would later describe him as odd as he never had a girlfriend growing up. Gary later tells of waking up to Larry trying to kill him before. I guess this didn't break their brotherly bond because the two remained somewhat close and did find something they enjoyed doing together, and that was Civil War reenactments. The two traveled around to many states for the war reenactments. Larry even, in fact, kept his facial hair in mutton chops to be more accurately fit in the Civil War era. Or as Gary said, he thinks he used the facial hair to hide the acne. In either case, he sported his mutton chops. He does this to fit in. How does this fit into true crime so far? Well, there was a girl that came up missing in Georgetown, Illinois, September 1993. This was 15-year-old Jessica Roach. She was riding her bike in the Royal Arab area by her house. And I saw the area, and it's so much like what I grew up riding around in. You wouldn't think there's a soul to harm you, but there also isn't a soul around to hear you scream either. So Jessica's sister found the bike on the ground later, but no sign of Jessica. Six weeks later, Jessica was found very badly decomposed, in a cornfield by a farmer on his combine in Perrysville, Indiana. Sadly, due to the state of her her body, they didn't have a lot to go off of, not to mention she was moved to another state, and they don't even know where the crime scene is. They do get a break when two girls are riding their bikes in May of 1994, and they notice this creepy dude in what we refer to as, in my family, as the pedophile van falling closely behind them. These girls are smart enough to tell their families who come out and write the license plate number down to call the police. The police do find the van and it belongs to Larry Hall. Can I just say, I'm really proud of these girls for A, paying attention to their surroundings and for the families to call it in and the police who actually followed up. Please be a lesson to everyone. If your gut says it's not right, it's probably not right. Yes, I know. So, um, 
it's how I see myself too as a kid. Well, it's at least what I hope I'd be like. I was probably really actually oblivious since I don't even know when your husband's honking at me on the interstate now. So (laughs) I probably was nothing like this. That is true. So as I was saying, they find him and they pull him over. They search his van and find some unusual things such as a cotton mask, a plastic tarp, rope, knives, and if that didn't all seem scream killer, they find some news articles about other missing women. One of those happened to be Trisha Rettler, who oddly enough was actually questioned, or he was oddly enough questioned in that investigation as well. Trisha was a 19-year-old college student in Marion, Indiana that walked to the store from her college campus one day in March of 1993 and just vanished. The store could actually be seen from the campus. It was that close. Okay, but how did he get on their radar in that instance to be questioned by the police? Of course, a young teen girl goes missing without a trace. There wasn't all the video surveillance we have now. This town is telling young girls, especially at the college, pretty much don't go anywhere. Lock yourselves up which I get, I mean, you don't have a suspect or anything. You don't know what happened. It's better to be safe than sorry. But there were two other college ladies that had decided it's been a week and we want to walk to the dang store. So they walked to the same store that Trisha had been, had last been seen at. um, And then they see that this van has gone back and forth three times. And then he pulls up to the girls to ask them something, but they start running back to campus. They alert security. Police eventually talk to him, but they don't have a a body, a crime scene or evidence to compare anything to. So you can't hold him back from being a, just, you know, for being a creepy guy in a van. So they have to let him go. The police question him about Jessica, though, and they show him a picture of her. Gary Miller, chief investigator with the Vinalmon County Sheriff's Office, says, says this when he showed Larry a picture of Jessica, and quote. He immediately flinched. He turned to his right, and he put his hand up over his face like he didn't want to see the picture. And, and he told me he didn't think he had ever seen that girl, end quote. Miller doesn't buy this story, and he continues the investigation in which Larry does confess to the murder of Jessica. He tells Miller, quote, I tied her up, but I can't remember what I took her pants off, end quote. He admits to raping her in the woods and later killing her. He tells police again, quote, I laid her up against a tree and put a belt around her neck, and she stopped breathing, end quote. He tells them He did this because he couldn't look at her while she died. Yeah, he didn't have a problem looking at the terror on his face when he kidnapped her and raped her. What a piece of crap. You know how much joy they say they get out of having power to end a life. Yeah, I don't buy that either, but maybe he was trying to act like he had remorse for the police. I'm sure it's awkward with some men sitting sitting around you and you're confessing to something really screwed up. So that's not all he confesses to, though. He tells police he did this to a lot of girls. They ask for details, and he says, 
quote, all of the girls looked alike. I cannot remember all of them. I picked up several girls in other areas, but I can't remember which ones I hurt, end quote. So he does admit to being near the campus when Trisha was abducted, which she, we already knew he was around. He says he killed a girl there and points to Trisha's picture. Okay, can we circle back to the statement that all the girls looked alike? How many girls were there and did they look alike? Honestly, that's hard to answer. He says he picked up girls in other places and he traveled to several states for the Civil War reenactments. The police do track where he was and um, they find a lot of missing girls in areas where he was in certain times. They estimate maybe 40 he's responsible for, but they were all different ages and hair, different haircuts, different styles. To me, they don't look alike, but I can't save what he's seen through his eyes. So he's not able to give them more clues or something helpful. Actually, the next day he comes back and he recants his confession. He tells the police, quote, well, I was just telling you about my dreams. That didn't really happen, end quote. So they don't get anything else out of him. They search his house and they find some notes he left himself. If you ever wonder what goes through a serial killer pedophile's head, here's one. Seeing joggers and bikers, many alone. Check colleges and parks. Seen some prospects. Here's another note of his. Buy two more plastic tarps. Cover all floors and sides of the van. No body contact. Buy condoms. Buy two more leather belts. Find one now. They go forward with the trial on kidnapping charges of Jessica Roach, and he is convicted and sentenced to life in prison for murder in 1995. Federal prosecutor Larry Beaumont has a victory in getting that done, but for him, that's not good enough. He wants to know where Trisha is, and he even spends some of his own time looking for her. He wants closure for her family, and he doesn't know how to get this information out of Larry. That's when he concocts a plan. He had also put away a man named Jimmy Keene in 1996. Jimmy was pretty much the complete opposite of Larry in about every way. Jimmy was a star football player in high school. He was voted most popular. He didn't have any issues getting the ladies with his good looks and charm. His dad was a police officer, and they were really close, but of course, he wasn't rich. Jimmy began selling drugs in high school to earn a little bit extra spending money. I mean, were there no fast food jobs back <laughs> then, or what was that about? Yes, there was, but you wouldn't make the kind of money Jimmy was making. Jimmy went off to Chicago to attend community college while there. Um, he's in the drug biz, as they say. Who says that? I don't think anyone says that. People in the drug business say that. I'm pretty positive they don't. <laughs> well, whatever. Jimmy says he stopped going to classes. He didn't see a reason to go when he was making so much cash. He said he was bringing in about a million a year and living the good life. So who needs college? He did this for about 15 years, and he was thinking, I really should get out of this business. I'm sure in some ways this is exciting and all you have and all you want with little work, but you also are looking over your shoulder. And he says he was in with the mob. 
So maybe not the best friends, I would assume, the best friends you can have. Not to mention his dad is a cop, don't forget. So I'm just wondering how his dad's never suspicious about any of this, and I never could find anything out about that. But Jimmy ends up getting busted, though. Before he changes careers, they bust down the the door of his beautiful mansion and haul him to jail. Jimmy pleads guilty and is sentenced to 10 years in prison without the possibility of parole. The FBI said they wanted him to roll over on the source, but he didn't. Beaumont knows, or at least assumes, that Jimmy wants out, so he calls Jimmy in and presents him with a deal. He tells Jimmy he needs an informant in another prison. He wants him to befriend this guy and get him to tell him where Trisha's body is. He says if he does that, his prison sentence, sorry, is done and expunged from his record. Jimmy agrees partially because he wants to, he doesn't want to sit in prison, but also when he called to talk to his dad, his stepmother told him he had had a stroke and Jimmy wants to see his dad again. Jimmy is being transported to a maximum security prison in Springfield, Missouri. He says on the ride there, he was definitely having second thoughts. He had no idea what he was doing. The first day he gets there, he says he ran into Larry accidentally on purpose. He said, oh man, I'm sorry about that. I'm new here. Do you know where the library is? He ends up being in the cell across from Larry. I don't know about you, Danica, but the first day I would be like, hey, let's be besties. So where did you hide Trisha's body? Because I'd want out. Yeah, you also call it a drug (laughs) bit. I don't think um, I don't think I have the kind of patience, but at the same time, he still like nine years to go. So, I mean, he probably has more than a day to figure this out. Yes. So, yeah, he's got nine years left. He he's got to get this information he needs, though. So Jimmy ups the ante one night when Larry was watching, of all things, America's Most Wanted. And another inmate just comes in and turns the channel. Larry says under his breath, he was watching that. Jimmy decides this is how to win him over. He gets up and punches the guy that changed the channel and lays him out. Jimmy, of course, had to go to solitary confinement for this. But once he was out, he had won some brownie points with Larry. The so-called friendship continues for the next five months. Larry tells Jimmy about how he killed Jessica and eventually about Trisha, but Jimmy can't get him to tell him where the body is. Jimmy finds Larry in the wood shop one day, and Larry is carving falcons and placing them on a map. He told Jimmy the falcons watch over the dead. Jimmy notices that the map has red dots on it on several states and thinks, this is what I need. This is where the bodies are. Larry quickly grabs this map, though. Jimmy sends word to to contact the FBI. He knows once they get there and they get this map, this is all they will need. Of course, wires can sometimes get crossed, and word was not given to the FBI then. Jimmy's thinking he's going home, though, just any minute, and he starts yelling at Larry. What a sicko he is. This yelling gets him thrown into solitary confinement again for several days. During this time, 
Larry gets rid of the Falcons and the map. Jimmy does tell the FBI what he found, but it's all gone now. And as well as his cover is blown, Beaumont decides Jimmy did the best he could and still honors his deal. He lets Jimmy out. Jimmy actually wrote a book about the time in prison, um, trying to befriend what he believes to be a serial killer with author Hilly Levin called In With the Devil and a Dangerous Bargain for Redemption. This was turned into a miniseries in 2022 on Apple TV called Blackbird that Jimmy is also an executive producer of. He was able to spend five years with his father before he passed away and has done great things with his life since prison. Larry, on the other hand, is yet to give information up as to what happened. They did have his twin brother try to coax information out of him. Larry told him to leave the room and he confessed on tape to 15 murders and later recanted to that too. And this is what Larry has to say about his life. The book Jimmy wrote did spark new interest and things were sent to various crime labs for DNA testing. So we may have some cases solved. Who knows? My question to you, Danica, our questions first. Is Larry Hall a serial killer? We honestly don't have any concrete evidence on this, even of the murder of Jessica. Second, do you think Jimmy really saw a map or was this just a ploy to get out of jail? Um, yes, to Larry Vegas, serial killer. I think he is, and I think he's holding it close to the chest. Um, I know that he recanted, but it just seems too convenient that... He, you know, talked to those two girls and his van was near where Trisha went missing and where, you know, Jessica went missing. I mean, it's just, that's a lot of um, coincidences for me. And then I do think Jimmy saw the map. I think that's a weird thing. I mean, he could have just said, Larry told me, blah, 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 blah. I mean, Yeah, who's trying to go to solitary confinement for giggles? Yeah, I think he saw the map, especially considering that it wasn't on him that the FBI's wires got crossed there. I think he really had something and, you know, it didn't didn't play out the way he expected. Though I think if it were me, I wouldn't have been yelling at Larry until I, you know, got out. But that's just me. That's true. But I mean, we don't have that macho DNA or anything in us. So, yeah, I mean, I think that was a bad move. But at the same time, it probably had to be really hard. This was a drug guy. It wasn't like he was in there for the things Larry was in there. It was probably hard to hear these things. Yeah. Be like, oh, yeah, you know. And it's been five months. Yeah. So, five months of trying to befriend somebody you don't even want to look at. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to have that discuss listening to the things that this guy did. So I'm sure that once Jimmy thought he was getting out, he finally had to just, you know, like that boiled over for him. Yeah. I can say all the things I want to say. I can tell this guy the things I really think about him. Um, but I do think he saw the map. I don't think he would have blown it. Um, otherwise, I think he really thought he had something solid there. But you guys tell us what you think. Do you think Larry Hall is a serial killer or do you think that, you know, he really didn't have anything to do with these? 
And do you think Jimmy really saw the map or was it all a big ploy to get him out of jail? We'd like to know what you think. I didn't want to keep living my life the way I was living it. I wanted to face this. He's different, you know, but I guess I didn't really do the right thing to change the way my life was going. That's all he has to say about his song. We always recommend more bubbly and less OJ. Cheers! If you'd like to see pictures from today's episode, you can find us at murder.mimosas on Instagram. You can also find us at murder.mimosas on TikTok, Twitter. And if you have a case you would like us to do, you can send that to murder.mimosas at gmail.com. And lastly, we are on Facebook at Murder and Mimosas Podcast, where you can interact with us there. We love any type of feedback you can give us. So please rate and review us on Spotify iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you.